and I see my beautiful 110 pound white German Shepherd who had transitioned a year or so before this walk into the operating room, lay her head on my gurney and we are gone. We are gone. We are on this phenomenal beach and we are running and running. And I realized that this sand we're running on, it feels like clouds, not like hard packed wet sand. I realized that there are colors I haven't seen before. Once again, I'm in this place with unconditional love, completeness, every drop of water radiates light and love. Every cell on every plant and every flower and every leaf radiating light and love. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I have such a wonderful conversation to share with you today. But before we launch into that, quick shout out to thank all of you who've taken a moment to leave a review and rate the show. That really helps people find their way to the show. And as I know from the beautiful emails and Facebook messages that I receive from listeners, the stories that we share here can make a profound difference to somebody's grieving journey. I had an incredible response to the last episode featuring What Dreams May Come producer Stephen Simon. Stephen's story of his ongoing bond of love with his late wife, Lauren, struck a deep chord with so many of you. For instance, here's an excerpt from an email I received from one of my listeners, Julie. Here's what she says, shared with permission. I have just finished listening to Loving Through the Veil. My, how it spoke to me and helped immensely. This past six months, my grief has been overwhelming and I was tired of people telling me you have to get over it or time will heal. Well, time doesn't heal and the heartache doesn't go, but I'm learning to live with my Josh this new way. Can't thank you enough for your podcasts. Listening to Stephen has let me realise I'm doing well and to trust and keep doing what I am doing. Well, thank you, Julie. We're all keeping you in our hearts as you navigate this new terrain you find yourself in. For my part, I'll keep putting out the podcast in the hope and in the trust that it keeps reaching who it's meant to reach. Speaking of new podcasts, you're going to love today's episode. My guest is Arizona-based medium and mother of three, Michelle Clare. A decade ago, Michelle suffered a traumatic brain injury. A couple of months later, while recovering, she noticed that her ability to communicate with the spirit world, which she'd had since childhood, had dramatically increased. She received an unexpected, life-changing message for her son. That's a great story. Wait till you listen to that. And uh, soon after, she began receiving life-altering messages for other people from loved ones who had transitioned. And on it went, and a very exciting journey began to unfold for her. We talk about all of that today, not to mention Michelle's three near-death experiences, which she shares with us in fascinating detail. That's right, three NDEs. The accident which left Michelle with a head injury was actually her third and most transformative near-death experience. Michelle has learnt a lot from the NDEs and also from her decades of spirit communication. There's a lot of wisdom in the stories that she humbly shares with us today. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michelle Clare. Hello, Michelle. Welcome to Spirit Sisters. Hi, Karina. How are you today? I'm doing so well. It's the morning here. I've just had my porridge, but it's the afternoon in Arizona. How's your day been? Oh, it's been a great day so far. I'm so excited to be here with you. 
Likewise, Michelle. I know that you have such an amazing story, wondrous in fact, and I'm thrilled that you are dedicating some time today to share it with us. Absolutely. Yeah. I love sharing my story because I think the biggest part of that is that my goal is for all of us to realize none of us are living this life alone. And that's, that's the beauty in it is that we realize we're still connected to our loved ones in spirit and we do have angels helping us. What a powerful message. What a powerful message. So you have got within amongst your amazing story, there is interwoven or there are interwoven three near-death experiences, one of which took place on the 1st of November 2011, so 1-11-11. Now, this NDE dramatically increased your ability to commune with the spirit world, Michelle, but that's something that you had been attuned to since childhood. So I was wondering, if it's all right with you, could we begin with your childhood, if you could take us back there and share your earliest memory of being able to communicate with the spirit world? Yes, absolutely. So it really started for me when I was quite young. What I would notice is I was raised Catholic and I would go to church and I would hear different things. And at that point in time, it wasn't that I was seeing spirit, but I would just feel, oh, I don't think that's what spirit thinks. I don't think that's what God thinks. You know, when I would hear different, um, what I would say are opinions of how they felt God should be towards other people. And, And so with that, I just realized, okay, that doesn't resonate with me. But when I was 12 years old, my grandfather transitioned and he and I had been very close and I I loved him dearly. And and what happened for me was after he transitioned, I realized that he and I were still communicating and he would give me messages and tell me things to say to my mom. And I would share those with her and she would always come back with, well, you think that's what grandpa would say if he was still here. And so I so I realized at some point, okay. I guess this is just between grandpa and I, these conversations or these things that he's saying to me because no one really took them for what I knew them to be. Yes, and I'm sure that there are lots of listeners at the moment who are nodding their heads knowing that that is often the case and our well-meaning family and friends, they just uh, perhaps do not understand. Tell us, Michelle, what were some of the ways in which your grandfather was making his presence known to you? Yeah, so a lot of times in the beginning, I would have dream visits with him. So he would come through in a dream. He would talk to me about something that was going on at school or something going on in my life and kind of give me guidance and pointers and just let me know that he was aware of it. And then what it turned into was being able to feel him standing next to me and knowing what he was thinking or feeling the thoughts he was giving me. And have you since found out whether there's anybody else in your family who had these abilities or even perhaps your grandfather himself? Or what's your sense of having inherited any of these gifts? I definitely do believe it's been inherited to a certain extent, but no, no one else has come clean, (laughs) for lack of a better word. (laughs) And I wonder, I'm just trying to get a sense of how this knowing that you had from such a tender age, 12 is, is a threshold age, it's not easy, How did this Mm -hmm. knowing that life survives the death of the physical body, that we continue to go on, how did that shape and affect your life as you grew up and, you know, presumably tried to live a quote unquote normal life as a teenager and later on as a young woman? Right. You know, I think that it was huge for me because I knew that although my grandfather was not still attached to his body, that he was still connected and attached to me. And what I was able to realize was our relationship was continuing on. And so there was relief in that because I wasn't then afraid that I had to live a very good life in hopes of someday seeing him again. I knew we were still seeing each other and I knew we were still connected. And so there was some pressure, I think, that was taken off of me when I realized, like, it's not that I'll see him again in 80 years. I he sees me now. He's connected now. It was very comforting. And within that time, did you ever hear from other spirits or have any other sort of spiritual experiences that have really stayed with you since childhood? My next one would be when my grandmother passed away. So I didn't have other communication with spirits at that time. I, I believed in angels. I knew they were real, but I didn't know exactly, you know, what that looked like. And being raised Catholic was really beneficial in the sense that I was raised to believe I had saints who wanted to help me and Jesus and Mother Mary. So that idea of having this whole team 
of, of beings of light wanting to help me, that was very easy for me to step into. Mm, it's a very comforting idea. I'm, I'm the same. I think that it's, and I was as a child too, I felt innately the understanding that I wasn't alone, that there was an unseen dimension. Do you feel that even as a very little child, you felt that and understood that? Yes, I, I do. I think I always felt that there were, and I'll just call them in my adult vocabulary, beams of light around me. So I might not have known a name, but I knew a color or I, they felt familiar, an energy type, you know, light. I knew there were, they were always there. And Michelle, so what happened when your grandmother passed away and how old were you then? Yeah, when my grandma passed away, I was 20 years old and she was actually in hospice the last three weeks of her life. My mom would go to spend the days with her and I was in college. I would go at night and spend the nights with her. And that was actually the beginning of more openings for me. And with that, what I mean is when I would sit with her at night, I would be aware that her mother who had passed away, her first and her second husband had both transitioned before her. She had a baby that transitioned. I was able to know that they were in the room and I could clearly look at her and see that they were communicating and they were talking and, and I could feel angels in the room. And so at that point in time, I still didn't know this was mediumship. I didn't have a word for it. I just knew her loved ones were in the room with us, helping her get ready to make her transition. It was very beautiful. It was very beautiful because it, it wasn't the human parts. I had never been with someone when they transitioned before, but I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried about her. I knew she was going to be amazing when she stepped into that world. And I knew they were already here helping her bridge that gap. And so that was quite amazing for me. I would have never called it mediumship because I didn't know that word or that term or, or what it was. I just knew our loved ones were still helping us. And did you feel at liberty to share that, that knowledge with say your mom and dad or friend or close friends? Yes, I would share it um, again, mostly with my mom and my mom would kind of give me the same, well, I know that's what you would like to think. And <laughs> she did it very lovingly. What I finally realized about that time was it was as if I was speaking a language that she couldn't hear. So I, I was telling her my experiences and her mind, she wasn't ready to hear it yet. Yes, yes. And that's such an important point, isn't it? Because Often when we do have these awakenings, for want of a better word, it we're often filled with, well, I, I think speaking personally, I was filled with a sense of wanting to share it, but you do quickly learn that others, loved ones, friends, family, they're not at that point where they're able to welcome those, those understandings and it's important to honour that as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So my grandmother transitioned and, and that relationship took very much a similar role to the one as my, my grandfather where we stayed in contact and she would give me messages and there were times I would share them with my mom and my mom would respond similarly like, well, I know that's what you think grandma would say if she was here. And so I just kind of, okay, so I, I, very, I was very comfortable in it. There was nothing scary about it. I knew they loved me. I knew they were connected to us and helping us. So I just kind of realized, oh, this is just between me and them. I guess I, I'm not, I don't need to share it. I'm not, I'm not meant to share it. It's not being heard, but, but I was okay with that. And there was actually a level of peace in that because, you know, in life, it's hard to speak your truth when it isn't heard in the way that you mean it. Yes, that's, that's very true, Michelle. And what about your life in the everyday world? What were you doing at 20? Were you planning, were you going to college, planning a career? I was, I was in college at the University of Arizona. I was studying special ed and rehab and um, pretty much just most of the time being a really normal 20 year old. Now, when did your first near-death experience take place? My first near-death experience was in April of 20, oh no, of 2000. It was in April of 2000. So at this point in time, this is, I want to say about five years after my grandma transitioned, I was married and I was in the hospital that day because my sister-in-law was having my niece. So I was excited to be there and we were all celebrating and 
I was actually standing in the hallway talking to her RN and her RN was a friend of mine from high school. And as I was talking to her, all of a sudden I had a massive seizure and I don't remember the seizure, but what I do remember is I remember opening my eyes and I was laying on the floor in this white room and I looked up and my head was in my grandma's lap. I could see her leaning over me. And I was in this room where the walls seemed to be alive and they seemed to be breathing. Um, they were radiating light, every cell, every molecule in these walls. And I remember just looking around and saying, oh, I mean, it felt so good here. I felt so complete, so loved, so whole. And I saw my beautiful grandma, who was the youngest version of her that I could remember, kneeling over me, holding my head in her lap. And as I was looking at her, I looked up next to her and I realized there was this angel who was about 12 feet tall standing next to her. And this angel was absolutely radiant, beautiful, breathtaking. And as soon as I saw her, I was a little bit surprised because I didn't know how big they were. I had always believed in them, but that was really big. And so I remember going to look for her wings. I wanted to see her feather wings. I was expecting them. And as I moved my eyes to look, what I saw was she had massive wings, but they were made of light, not of feathers. And they almost moved like the aurora borealis, like the colors and and the, the, there was a movement to them and a flow. And then they seemed to trail off into eternity. I really never saw the end or the tip of her wing. And while I was laying there, I thought to myself, I thought, what is your name? And she answered me in my head. She said, my name is Madeline and I'm one of your guardian angels. And I was a little bit um, surprised because I didn't know anything about telepathic communication. And I had no idea that she knew what I was thinking. So my, my whole experience in this first near-death experience is love and its completeness and its wholeness. And it's seeing that, yes, my grandma is still connected to me. And here's this beautiful, stunning angel that's connected to me. And, and I I, it was really an awakening to that there is so much more than our human eyes can see. The next thing I know... I hear them yelling, code, 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 and I'm back in my body. And my body feels so heavy and so dense. My arm alone felt like it weighed 100 pounds. And they, they admitted me into the hospital, and they never really did find out what caused the seizure, and I've never had another one. But that was my first near-death experience. Michelle, what an extraordinary story. There are so many aspects that jump out at me as something amazing and and there's synchronicity in it. it for instance in your your friend the nurse just happening to be with you let alone the fact that you were already in a hospital so you you were attended to already what did you make of that looking back when you were beginning to recover from all of this which must have been such a profound shock for you it really was what, what I I just could not shake the feeling of how loved I was I had never felt that loved in my life. And growing up, I felt loved. So I wouldn't say that I was somebody who didn't feel that naturally. But the level of love and whole and completeness was so intense. And the other thing that was really interesting for me was it felt more real than daily life. And I didn't know how to understand this. And I had never heard of a, dear, a near death experience. So I knew I had had an experience beyond words but I didn't know where to go with that or, or how, or how do I now bring this into my daily life? Mm. And that's, that's a fascinating aspect too, that you didn't have an understanding or an awareness of the NDE, which there had been many books in the contemporary uh, understanding of it that had come out by the year 2000, but that obviously that and, uh, or telepathic communication and other sort of spiritual modalities, they didn't, from what you're saying, I'm not getting a sense that that drew you, even though you had these experiences since childhood. Yeah, I, I absolutely was almost learning as I went because those were not things that I had heard about. And, and so I knew this was this experience was very, very real and I knew it needed to happen. And I knew there was something about it, about me being able to know there is so much more. There are angels and they're not just angels. They're 12 feet tall and they are aware of, 
of your every need, your every heartache, your every joy. There's just, it was a, a connection beyond anything I had known. What a beautiful thing. And it's lovely to hear you talk about that profound love which you experienced because obviously that is uh, an aspect that comes out in so many NDE accounts, if not all of them, this ineffable love that is impossible from what I'm hearing to describe with the language that we have. And you've done a lovely mm. job of it, sort of saying that every wall, every cell in the wall was alive and, you know, just radiating this love. It's just astonishing. No, oh, it's amazing. It really is. Yes. So that was my first one. And, and I will tell you after that, I, a couple of weeks later, I shared it with my mom and she kind of didn't know what to make about it, but she didn't, she didn't say, no, that didn't happen. I think she just didn't know about those either. She didn't know about near death experiences and, and she wasn't quite sure where to go with it either. So I kind of just moved on with life after that. Yes, because I was going to ask you about that because you, you'd mentioned that you weren't sure how to integrate it into your life, but it seems like you just, perhaps you just filed it away. And as you say, you moved on. Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely. All right. So Michelle, when did the second NDE take place? The second NDE happened in May, 2006. So at this point in time, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I've got three little kids. I have um, an infant who was six weeks old. I had a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I had a five-year-old. And um, after I had my son, so I had my son in April 2006, I had had quite a few complications. And I was in and out of the hospital for about four out of the six weeks after I had him. Finally, they said, we need to do a DNC, and that'll be you know, that'll end your problem. She'll be fine. So that's basically a surgical procedure where they put you under anesthesia and they clear out the uterus. And then they figured that I would be fine after that. So I, the night before I was scheduled to go in, I had this gut feeling that I should not do it, that it would not go well, but I was really tired of being sick. <laughs> and so I decided I was going to go through with it. And they told me it would be a 45 minute outpatient procedure. So the next day I went into the hospital and I remember I had had anesthesia before, and when I had ever had it, it was just a blank space. It wasn't dreaming time. It wasn't good time. It was bad time. It was just the nothingness that I re that was there when I was under anesthesia. So I remember counting backwards for the anesthesiologist. And then the next thing I know, I'm in the operating room, laying on the gurney, and I see my beautiful 110-pound white German shepherd who had transitioned a year or so before this, walk into the operating room, lay her head on my gurney, and we are gone. We are gone. We are on this phenomenal beach, and we are running and running. And I realized that this sand we're running on, it feels like clouds, not like hard, packed, wet sand. I realized that there are colors I haven't seen before. Once again, I'm in this place with unconditional love, completeness. Every drop of water radiates light and love. Every cell on every plant and every flower and every leaf radiating light and love. And we are just running on this beach. And I look at her and we're having telepathic communication again. And I know that she's so happy to see me. She's enjoying our time together. She is the youngest, most healthy, beautiful version of her, kind of like a a one and a half year old German shepherd would be, you know, strong and healthy and full and, mm -hmm. and just glowing in, in her radiance. And we are running and running. And at some point I noticed, well, I'm not getting tired. I'm not getting hot. I'm not getting thirsty. And then I realized that where we are, it's just about each moment. It's about each breath and each step, each breath and each step. And I'm very very present in the moment with her. And at that moment, my son, who was about six weeks old and was at the house with my mom and dad, energetically calls to me and he knows that I'm getting ready to leave. I find myself being pulled to him and I say, I will find a way to stay. And I start to pray and I start to say, it's not my time yet. My kids still need me not ready. And at that moment, 
I can see the operating room light up with this beautiful, brilliant, white, golden white light. I can feel Jesus is in the room and I know I'm going to be able to stay. And the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm in post-op and I had been there in surgery for three and a half hours. My 45 minute procedure turned into emergency surgery because the doctor ruptured my uterus in two places and he missed my aorta by a millimeter. They couldn't even suture it. They had to pack it because it was so close. And at this point in time, I'm, I am physically so weak after everything my body had been through from the last two months that it took me months to recover. Um, and what I realized in this near-death experience also is that our soul is capable of being in more than one place at a time when it's not anchored to our body. Because I was very much on the beach with my beautiful dog and then yet with my son at the same time. And I knew, he knew I was leaving and he was really scared to live this life alone. So that was one of the lessons I learned. Another lesson I learned is that very often our soul has the ability to call in a miracle. We just don't realize it in our human form. We think, we think it takes very like specialized care to receive a miracle, I would say. And spirit calls them happenings. Spirit says when you are in alignment with your body, mind, and spirit, that's when we receive miracles. That day changed my life or my perception of spirit and the world on multiple levels in a lot of ways. And that whole near-death experience probably took me weeks to months to truly be able to dive into and understand and feel the power of it all. It is beautiful. I just, I was immersed in your stories. You're sharing it. You took us to that beautiful place where you're running on clouds by a, an idyllic beach with your beautiful pet. What a story. It is stunning. Mm -hmm. And it's got almost precursors of what's coming in your third and per perhaps if I'm right, Michelle, most powerful NDE, which you're about to share with us. But in that it's, it has a hint of this connection with your son in particular and, and mm -hmm. your sort of spiritual bond. It also hints at this timelessness or, you know, the sense that time is definitely not what we perceive it to be here on the planet in that it is, you, you described souls as being multidimensional and able to be in different time frames at the same time. And I just love your understanding of the present moment and the miracle that can be birthed in each moment when we're, I guess when we're in a state of allowance and just being as free and as natural as the tree that's growing in our front garden, you know? Yes, absolutely. Because on a soul level, all of our power is truly right here in the present moment. So even in mediumship, when I'm doing readings for my clients, that's always right here, right now. I'm not reading for them in the future. I mean, if I get psychic information that's coming in, but where's the information from spirit coming in to guide me, to guide them right here, right now in this very present moment. So that is where our connection to source, our connection to the spirit world, it's all right in the present moment. It's so profound and certainly it's a, an idea that's hinted at in so many ancient spiritual texts, so many traditions. Absolutely. So you said that this NDE, it's like you took a step up, like this was something that was took months to try and get, get a handle on. Were you getting a sense, Michelle, that you were being led in a particular direction, that your life was going somewhere and that these NDEs were almost like markers on the path for you? I would, yes, I, I love the way that you phrased that. And yes, I would say I was getting that sense because I couldn't find anyone else who had had similar experiences still in my life. And I was kind of, you know, and everyone would always tell me, well, you're so lucky, you're so lucky there's someone watching over you. And yes, I believe that to be true. But at the same time, I was like, how can I be the only one having all of these experiences? You know, it was very, it was somewhat isolating. And yet I knew I was on a journey that I was meant to be on. Yes, yes. And it sounds like you were open to to being taught or being guided as well, which I guess is quite important here. Absolutely. I mean, I always knew that 
these were blessings that were coming from a higher power, from a divine source, from God, the creator, the universe, whatever, whatever someone's word is for the higher power. And I, and I always knew that these were, were gifts or blessings that were coming from there. I didn't know why or how I had been able to let them come in, but I knew, I don't know. I just knew that they were coming in on a higher level. Mm. And something that I think is important to not overlook as well is that, you know, this wasn't without pain and, and trauma to your physical being. So your first NDE with the seizure and the shock that that would have, you know, been for you as a young woman to experience this completely out of the blue and for your loved ones. And then uh, the traumatic birth and the, the pain that you suffered afterward and then this, you know, almost dying due to negligence, we could, we could say. Now that's, yeah, all of that is traumatic and this is going to be cemented now when we talk about your third NDE that took place, how many years later, seven, eight, no, five years later, Michelle? It's, yeah. Yes. Tell us, please tell yes. us what happened and this is, this is an amazing experience that you had. Please share. I will, yes. It happened on 11-1-11. So for people who like numbers, November 1st, 2011 and I was in my kitchen, my youngest at that point in time, my son was five years old and I had a daughter who was eight and a daughter who was 10. My younger two were home with me. I have 15 foot tall, 14 foot tall ceilings in my house. And I have candles up there that I put the batteries in and at night they turn on and glow for a while and then automatically turn off. And I told my younger two kids, I said, as soon as I put these candles back up in the holders, we're going to leave to go get your sister. And I remember climbing up the ladder. And as I got towards the top, I felt it shift and I knew it was going to fall. And I literally thought this is going to hurt. That was all I had time to think. And at that moment, I was literally ripped out of my body, not in a painful way, but in a fast way. I was turned around and I was facing my body and the ladder suspended in the air. And I was standing with these three people and I did not know them. I had not met them in this life, but I, I felt like I had known them forever. They felt like family or very close friends. It was, there was uh, an Asian man, a Hawaiian man and an Egyptian woman. And as we were standing there, I was thinking, this is amazing. My body's going to hit the floor any second. It, I could see it. I could see the ladder, and yet they weren't moving yet. And at this point in time, I was again in this timeless space where there was no time, and in, in, in this complete love. And, and these, these three beautiful beings of light, they, they said to me, what would you like to do? Would you like to stay, or would you like to go? And I kept looking at them and then looking at my body and thinking, wow, this is interesting. They're not rushing me. They're not saying, hurry up, Michelle. You've got a second to make the decision. I had forever to decide, and yet I could see my body. And at that moment, as I was watching my body in the ladder, I saw a different angel come in, and it was this beautiful, huge, huge angel. And when I saw that angel come in, I knew that that angel was either there to take me home, which was what I would call the heavenly realm, or to make things work out so that I could stay depending upon my decision. And this angel was just, again, stunning. There's truly no words to describe their beauty, their power, their love, their, their compassion. And, and as I was standing there, they asked me again, would you like to stay or would you like to go? And I remember then, seeing my two younger kids in the house. And when I saw my kids, I knew I needed to stay. And so I chose to stay. At that moment, I was downloaded with a bunch of information. Some of it I don't even believe I remember quite yet today. But at that point in time, I remember them telling me, okay, you can stay, but we need you to go back and, and do more of what only you can do to heal people. We need you to like, hey, come on, Michelle, time to take this seriously. Quit, quit ignoring us. You know, we have work for you to do. It's great that you're a stay-at-home mom. We know you love that. That's a huge part of your purpose, but that's not all of your purpose. And so 
it was really on this level where I knew I was being asked to come back and help people. And the details of what that looked like, if that was explained to me, I don't remember them, but I just knew that to come back, I had to come back in a way that I had not been present on this earth before. And I had to bring these gifts and share them. And, and I agreed. And so the ladder fell and I hit the back of my head on the corner of the granite counter in my kitchen. I had a five and a half inch skull fracture, a brain bleed. I lost my taste, my smell, part of my hearing, my equilibrium, part of my vision. And I missed my brainstem by half an inch. I literally survived the fall by half an inch. And I knew without a doubt the angel had moved my head. And that was why I survived. Just picturing that as you're sharing it. So it's almost like something that we might see in a film. So your your body, time has stopped. Time as we know it here has stopped. And yes. from your perspective, with the guidance of those three uh, spiritual beings by your side and then the angel that comes in, you're given a choice. It's it's such an extraordinary thing. And goosebumps arise when when you hear your question, what would you like to do? Would you like to stay or would you like to go? It's so very powerful, everything you're sharing here, Michelle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, it is because, and I, and I don't believe this question comes up a lot from people for me. Does everyone get a choice? No, I don't believe we always get a choice. I, I, I really don't. And, and next time, I don't know if I'll get a choice. You know, next time might be my last one and I'm out, you know. Um, but with that being said, we don't always get a choice. So for people who have had loved ones that transitioned, I don't ever want them to think they chose to go there and chose instead of staying here with me. There's so much that goes into this, right? We have our humanness, we have our soul level, and then we have the divine source, God. There are multiple levels that things are figured out on and, and it is decided if you stay or if you go. Um, and I often wanna say very often, for the greatest good. Yes, yes, that's right. It's as you say, it's all a, a vast interwoven web and it's impossible for us from our limited perspective to understand all of the, the layers and all of the connections and all of the dimensions that this web is, is unfolding within. So, And your story really illustrates at that moment. So basically what you've done there for us, Michelle, is stretch out what is in our time, perhaps three seconds, and you've just shown like what's possible, you know, from the other perspective within those three seconds. And it's just extraordinary. Absolutely. Yes. Their time is nothing like our time, right? If, if you even want to call it time. And, and so it was interesting in that third near death experience that I was kind of toggling while well, my body should hit the floor every minute, any second here. Yeah. Why am I, why do I have forever to decide what I want to do? But there was nothing about it that was rushed. And once again, it was all in compassion and love. There was no point in any of my near-death experiences where I was being judged, where I was being told, you didn't do that right. You need to stay longer. It's a punishment or get it right this time. It was never about that. They were all truly about love and compassion. So I want to ask you, and I will ask you about what actually happened next in the physical sense, because there's an amazing story around that and what your, your beautiful, tiny little children, how they stepped up and, and saved your life there. But before I do, could you tell us a little bit about your sense of who these three guides were? You call them your guides. So you now, it was like an introduction, I guess, to your spirit guides. Would that be right, Michelle? Absolutely. I, I, and I didn't know that word. That word was not even in my vocabulary when that happened. It was a few months later that I realized, oh my gosh, these are my life guides or these are my spirit guides. I, that was not a word I had known. But when I remember standing with them, I felt like I knew them as close as my closest family members. I felt like they knew me inside and out. And it was truly, I mean, but in a way they knew me closer or better than my family members because they knew the plans for my life and my family members didn't mm. and they did and they knew there was more that I was meant to be doing and and I don't know that there was anyone else in my life at that time that said Michelle you need to do more you know <laughs> but they knew it's almost like a, a great mercy that they're there and they're pointing you on this path of very important work that you would go on to do and are doing today are they still very present in your life these three guides 
Absolutely. Yes. And, and I call for them because I believe we all have a spirit team. So our spirit team is what I call our life guides, our angels and our loved ones in spirit. And I know that we are all surrounded by our own teams. And so, yes, they are very much an important part of guiding me and leading me and helping me facilitate readings. I work with them very closely. What a wonderful message that is. And actually it, it is a moment of synchronicity for me because I've just this morning finished reading a book called The Team and it's by a woman called Frances Key. I don't know if you've heard of this book and her mum transitioned and came to her from the afterlife and they've written a series of books essentially about this idea that we have a team in the spirit world and that we're never alone. So beautiful moment now to interview you and hear your perspective on the team that we all have, Michelle. Absolutely. Well, and I love that because even in the human moments where we feel lonely or alone, we are truly never alone. So powerful. You know, yes. And, I, and I've died three times to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's another thing I would love to say, people, people need to know they worry, they worry. My loved one died alone. I say, our loved ones never die alone. You could be in the middle of the Sahara Desert you do not die alone. It might not, there might not be another human in the room, but none of us transition this world without our spirit team guiding us. How wonderful to know. Thank you. Thank you so much for reminding us all about that. Now, Michelle, take us back to that moment. You've hit your head on the granite edge of your um, kitchen bench. What happened next? So at that point in time, my, my younger two kids... My son, we had tried to call 911 and it did not go through. And my daughter, Sophie, who was eight, she called 911 and it went through. So they were able to get me help. So this was in November. So then I was in the hospital for a while, came home. December, we had Christmas. And then in January, my son, who was five and in kindergarten, started getting depressed. And he would tell me, he would tell my mom, my mother-in-law, he would say, I didn't need to be there. When my mom got hurt, I didn't do anything to help her. Um, Sophie could have done it without me. And that was because he was feeling depressed about his call not going through. And we would say, but Josh, you opened the door and you let the policeman in and you, you helped. And there was really nothing we could say that made him feel like he had helped me. And so at the end of January, 2012, my grandfather, who had passed away when I was 12, came through to me. And he was the first big visit I had had since my head injury. And he came in and I said, I haven't seen you in so long. And he said, well, I knew it would seem like that to you. And I thought that was interesting because that's also a play on the time versus no time. In my mind, it had been a long time since I had seen him. In his mind, he's like, what do you mean? I'm standing right here every day, you know? And, yes. and so he started talking to me about my accident. And he started talking to me about my son and how he was good with electronics. Now, he and my son, they never walked this earth at the same time. They were born years and years apart. And then before the visit ended, he said to me, he said, Michelle, you need to get the 911 recording. There's something on there you should know. And I was very surprised. I didn't even know I should that I could get the 911 recording. So... I went down and I ordered it and it took a couple weeks to come in and I got it and I played it and I hear them say, 911, what's your emergency? And I hear my son in his little broken voice say, Sophie, what do I say? And then he lays the phone down. And for a minute and a half, the 911 operator keeps saying, can you hear us? What's happening there? And you can hear my kids talking in the background. So his call had gone through. And at one point he tells her, I'm going to go push the panic button on the house alarm. And she says, hold on, let me try calling 911 first. And she hangs up the phone and then she dials 911 and her call goes through also. Mm, so little, little Josh had thought and perhaps felt guilty, poor darling, at the age of five that his call hadn't gone through, but that Sophie, his sister's call, did go through, did go through. But actually his did go through and perhaps... I don't know, Michelle, were they perhaps tracing the address in that time or? They absolutely were. Yeah. So help was coming. Yeah. They had already traced the address. And were you unconscious? I was. I was in and out of consciousness and I had lost my hearing, so I couldn't hear either. 
oh, yeah, so I have this, I had this call come in or the CD of this call. I did not play it for them because it was very traumatic at the time. You could hear they were panicked, they yeah. were scared, you know. But after he came home from kindergarten that day, I said to him, I said, Josh, I said, I said, I, I, I got the call. I said, I got the recording. Your call went through. And it was like lifting a 10,000 pound weight off this little boy. And he, you could just see him filled with his self-worth and he was flooded with it. And he had done something to help me. And it was so cute. We would go out to eat and the waitress at the restaurant would say, how's your day going? And he would say, great. My 911 call went through Aww. and they would kind of laugh and say, okay, they didn't know what to say to that. Right. Um, but my grandfather was able to give me a gift in that moment that I didn't know existed. And this was the gift of giving my son back his confidence and his self-worth and the peace of mind of knowing that he had helped me. When words had failed, there was nothing I had said or my mom or my mother-in-law or anyone had said that had comforted him. My grandfather was able to come in mm. with not just words, but evidence of How, it, it oh. mattered. Oh my gosh, that's so profound. It really is. And there's a real sense of the trajectory of his life being altered at that point. Because had he perhaps not received this affirmation that actually he was fine, that he'd done everything, that he, who knows how that might have settled in his little body and affected him going forward. Because so often it's these childhood moments that really seal our, our paths in many ways, don't they, Michelle? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think every person is still working through what happened at times in their life when they were young. And 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 maybe it wasn't something traumatic. Maybe it was just the way some kid looked at you in third grade and you internalized it. You yes. know what I mean? But but yes, we have we have these moments in childhood that we we believe the story we're telling ourselves or we believe it as we think that it is and it and it has the potential to change the course of our life in a negative way or in a positive way. And how wonderful that it was, as you say, it was your grandfather from the spirit world, which is completely contrary to our cultural paradigm to believe that such a thing could be possible. But yet here you go. And I hear these stories time and again. And just hearing yours is further confirmation that it's so important to share what's actually possible in these encounters. Oh, absolutely. Because, because we are all surrounded by our loved ones and the information that they have for us and their knowledge of the situation. And, and his ability to give me perspective on that was, was life-changing. And then what I would say, what led me more into mediumship, well, first of all, as if that wasn't enough, right? I mean, yes. that literally changed the course of my son's life. But after that, in the next following months, I would get more information for friends. So I had a friend whose husband had transitioned himself. He came through. He gave me a lot of information for her. And then I started realizing, oh, my gosh, okay, this is real. This is big. And I need to learn how to navigate this. And I would say for the first time after my grandfather came through with my son, I actually realized that this conversation between spirit and I it wasn't just meant for grandpa and I or grandma and I, but it was meant on a bigger level to, to help others. And I saw truly the love and compassion and the power in it. The fall left you with a, a traumatic brain injury. Now that must have required a lot of uh, recovery time, perhaps rehabilitation. You say, Michelle, you lost your sense of taste. You lost your hearing. What has, have those faculties returned how did you navigate that time? And then on top of everything, you've got the spirit world kind of flooding in with messages for other people as well. Right. Yeah, it, it was a lot. So, yes, I mean, I had to do vestibular therapy, physical therapy. I had to go get hearing aids. I am actually still now, 10 years later, I still do cranial sacral therapy. So I'm still recovering. But I would tell you about six months out. So I had no taste and smell. And what I would have is I think most people are familiar with phantom pain. So that's when somebody has had an, a limb amputated, but it still hurts. Well, I would actually have phantom 
taste and smell, but it was horrible. It was like rotting, dead, burning bodies. Mm. So if I walked by and smelled coffee, it would trigger that smell. If I, it didn't matter what it was. That was the only thing I could smell when I smelled something. And I'd literally have to run outside and go vomit or, you know, run to the the restroom, depending on where we were. And so about six, yes, it was horrible. So six months after my head injury, I went to the neurologist and the neurologist said to me, you're not going to get better. You might get one to 2% better in the next six months, but this is it. Like, this is pretty much as good as you're going to get. And I came home and I was completely depressed for at least a day, if not two, because Wow. Because, you know, I was grateful in the fact that I could still live life. I could be here with my kids. And at the same time, oh, there were, you know, it wasn't all amazing. (laughs) There were some parts that were really hard. And and so that day I made a decision that I didn't know how, but that that wasn't going to get my, be my story and that I, I would find a way to heal. And that and because I knew I had not been through three near-death experiences. I had not gone through all of this to, for, for this to be my story. And so although I never knew what that would look like, I also never internalized that, like, this is it. And what happened when I did that was it left an opening. And spirit, where does spirit work? Spirit works in the openings that we give them. And so three years later, I had a friend who said, you know, Michelle, there is somebody who's a healer and works with the Holy Spirit in Paradise Valley. So that's here in Phoenix, Arizona. And she said, you should go see her. So I started going to her services and I had been going to them for quite a while when my daughter's horseback riding instructor came down with cancer. And so she started going with me. And because I had decided at that point in time, you know what, I might never get healed past this. But what I will do is I'm going to take my friend and let's see if we can get her healed because I could live the way I was, even though it wasn't always pleasant. She could not live, continue life in her body. And, and so we went to this Christmas service and what happens is this lady, she will say the Holy spirit came to me yesterday and she has a list of things that will be healed. So if she calls out back injury, anyone with a back injury for whatever reason stands up, So she said, on my list, she says, I have somebody who fell off a ladder and hurt their back. So about 10 people stood up and I stood up and I was at the end of the row. So she went around to everyone else. And I kept thinking that person's going to say, I fell off the ladder. That person, no one said it. And she got to me and I said, I'm the one who fell off the ladder. And she looks at me and she smiles and she says, well, God knows you fell off the ladder, but you're going to receive a healing tonight. And I literally felt my spine tingling. I felt the Holy Spirit going through me. And this was a healing called out on my back. So obviously I had had back problems since, you know, the fall off the ladder, if not prior to that. And I literally started to cry. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just received a healing. And so we went home that night and the next morning here in Arizona in December, you know, it's winter. And and I opened up the door to let the dog out. And for the first time in years, I could smell the crisp winter air. And then my son said, mom, make me a hot dog. I made him a hot dog and it smelled like a hot dog, not like a burning dead body. And my daughter said, mom, can you make me a cup of hot chocolate? And I could smell it. And I truly received a healing and I got most of my taste and smell back. I got part of my hearing back. My back pain went away. It was truly life changing. Michelle, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I want to um, put to you something that occurred to me as you're telling us that amazing story. And that is, what part do you think it played in your healing that you went to that service, not with the intention of healing yourself, really, but more so with the intention of healing your friend? Oh, goodness. I think that I think that was a huge part. I think it was a huge part because God knows our heart. And I think the fact that, that I went for her, I didn't go for me. Right. And so the human part of me says, I think that that was recognized on a higher level. But what I'll also say is God has enough healing for everyone. So there wasn't the the human side Mm. of that is it wasn't, it wasn't her or I that he was choosing between. Mm. I don't know what her soul plan is. But the part that my heart went 
for her and to support her and her journey, truly that created an opening. Yes, it's that alignment that you talk about. So your own self, any kind of the egoic side, the human side was very much out of the way in that moment. And there was that opening that you that you reference. Yeah. Yeah. That alignment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say, you know, it took me a couple a couple years really to get feeling more normal um, with therapies. And so I came home and I, from all of that, and I became walked right back into being mom of three and busy and, and trying to get my, my body um, working for me. And, and then this mediumship started coming in. And so then I said, okay, well, honestly, let me, let me be really clear. It kind of scared me at first when I started getting messages for other people, because I thought, um, people are going to think I'm crazy. And so what I ended up doing was I started going to counseling. Um, and thank God I was led, of course, led and guided to the right counselor who said, Michelle, this is an amazing gift. Let's help you find somebody who can mentor you in it. Not who said, try this medication or don't talk to them anymore or whatever that is. And so she led me and helped me find people who I could start mentoring with. And so then I started mentoring because I needed to know how to tap into this energy, how to ask the questions, how to receive the answers, how to do it as I would say on demand. So when people came to me for readings and so then I spent a few years mentoring. And again, a moment of synchronicity and guidance that you, as you say, your practitioner, your counselor, or perhaps she, she was a, a psychologist, I'm not sure. Very rare yeah. for, for that person that's trained in that way to, to say, no, actually, this isn't the right direction, it's this. Very rare, I would say, just anecdotally speaking. Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And then not only that, somebody who she's like, let me help you find someone to mentor you. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so were you mentoring with one, so one particularly experienced medium became your mentor? Yes, I, I used one one medium for the first few years, and then I started spreading out. And so I started then adding in, um, I would spend time with different healers or different people that did have different modalities because I wanted to learn more and grow in more ways. And so even now when I'm mentoring people, after a while, I'll say, you know what, go see this person or go see this person because um, it's kind of like a school, right? We don't have the same teacher kindergarten through high school. We have different teachers every year. And, and so I always encourage people to have, you know, a main mentor at first. And then once they get to a certain level, it's time to grow and it's time to find other, other people that can help you in other ways. Yes. It's all about progression and growth, isn't it? There's nothing static Mm -hmm. here. I feel on our 3d plane anyway, (laughs) you've had an astonishing array of experiences in your life. You've gone from being the the full-time mom, which as you say, completely beautiful and honorable calling. Now you're merging that with your, would it be, be accurate to say you're a full-time medium helping people? Absolutely. Wow. Yes, this is my full-time job. Is there any, it is amazing. Is, yes. Is there any particular story that that stands out that you'd like to share with us about an instance where you've helped a client, something that is, is has really stayed with you as one of the most wonderful ones? Oh, my goodness. You know, there are, wow, there are so many. I'm trying to pick one right now. <laughs> yeah, let me just start with a message that came through for a client, okay? Yes. So I was reading for this beautiful lady. She is a, a, an RN, so a nurse, and I, and she lives in the U.S., And she was busy taking care of her mom. Her mom wasn't doing well. And then she's an RN, so she has patients and then her kids. And and so I said to her, as I was reading for her, I said, oh my goodness, I said, I have have Mother Teresa here. And she said, yes. She said, I went to Calcutta and worked with Mother Teresa. And I said, okay, that's amazing. And I said, well, I said, Mother Teresa is here to tell you today that she never lost herself in service to someone else because if she had, she would not have been able to serve so many people. And that message was so profound when it came through, not just for her, but for all of us, right? Because we serve others regularly, but when we start to lose ourselves or we start to get run down or we start to get overwhelmed, we're not able to serve others to our best 
capabilities, nor are we able to serve ourselves. And so I thought her message for that woman was so beautiful about take care of yourself. That's how you'll take care of others. Serve yourself. That's how you serve others. So you don't get lost in the act of service or giving. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that will resonate with our audience. It definitely resonates with me. That is uh, something that I've struggled with personally for years now. So just finding that balance, navigating that, you know, it's almost like walking a tightrope between those callings to service and also to to rest and to honour yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. Love that. And also because it's Mother Teresa who is somebody that we hold up as this utterly selfless soul in the world. And she was that. But I love that she came through to say, hey, even I had to realize this, you know. Right, (laughs) right, exactly. Because she helped so, so many people and she had to realize that. And and, and that's a huge message for us. And, and so when I like to take that up to a soul level, right, because a lot of times now I'll have my human questions and my human ideas. And then I say, okay, spirit, what does spirit think about this? And so we're, I'm really learning to balance these two worlds. And I have been for years now, but the human idea, or at least here in America, very often we say like, life is hard. If you work hard, it'll pay off. We give it all of these words that mean it's tough. It's difficult. you got to fight through it on and on and on. And then when I take that up to spirit and I say, spirit, is this true? Spirit says, your soul came to learn and play in the magic of life. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to realize how many ways our human world tells us we came here. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be ugly. Work harder. Whatever these human things are that we say to us. But the truth is your soul said, I'm headed to planet Earth to play in the magic of life. And so balancing those two things is huge in balancing our life and balancing our perception of the world. What an important message. I'm thrilled that you brought this up towards the end of our conversation. Thank you so much, Michelle. Now, I want to ask you yeah. what what is next for you? But before I do, I just want to say something that occurred to me from the beginning of our conversation. You said that when you were in college, you were studying, now did I get this right, special ed and rehab. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I, just in light of what you've been through, Michelle, with the traumatic brain injury and having to go through rehabilitation yourself, have you had thoughts about what part that early calling in your life played and whether you'll be you know, pursuing that in future in some capacity? Yeah, you know, um, I love that you brought that up. No, I have never gone back and thought about what (laughs) what does that (laughs) look like or mean for me. I actually had not. But um, I do think that, I mean, I don't know that I would ever work in that field, but I have a sister and she has severe cerebral palsy. So I always felt that because of her, I was always led with compassion to help others in that way. And um And so, yeah, so I think it's exciting. I would never rule anything out, but I think that's part of my soul's mission or purpose is to always help people. Yes, and that's definitely come through today. You're, You're just such a beautiful soul and I'm so thrilled to be able to have had the opportunity to bring you onto the show, to introduce you in many cases to our listeners and just um, to stay in touch to see what what un- unfolds for you. And on that note, Michelle, what do you think is next for you? What's exciting at the moment? Yeah, well, right now I'm working on a book, so I'm really excited about that. I expect to have it done. I have an editor and they're working on it too. So I'm hoping that that will be done by the beginning of 2022. Mm. And I'm just looking forward to growing and sharing and helping realize helping people to realize that none of us are living this life alone. And and I feel like every single human, every single living, breathing creature here has a soul. And the minute that we can start waking up to the power of our soul, that's the minute that we start being able to change our life. Do you have a sense that collectively the world is in a way going through an NDE of sorts, a, a kind of spiritual awakening on a global level? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do think so. And I think it's necessary and I think it's painful and I think it's time. Hear, hear, Michelle. Tell us, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your work? 
Yeah, the easiest way is through my website. That's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Claire, C-L-A-R-E dot net. Fantastic. Well, I'll put those links up and also link to your social media so people can follow you there. And I just want to tell you, it's just been so lovely to speak with you today. Is there a final um, uplifting message you'd like to leave the audience with today? Absolutely. I would say this. Through all of my experiences, I have learned that things happen to us in life that we may or may not have control over. But what we always do have control over is the way that we choose to perceive it. And there is so much power in our perception. And so if there are things that you're really struggling with, I would ask you, turn that 180 degrees and see what the other side of it is and see if you can adjust your perception to empower yourself and to live a more happy, fulfilled, connected life. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been a joy to speak with you on Spirit Sisters today. Oh, thank you, Karina. I have truly enjoyed every moment of our time together. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.